Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kenzie Dozinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach. And this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. As I'm recording this, I'm really looking forward to the weekend with Valentine's Day. But by the time you listen to this, that will have already passed. And so I hope that you had a wonderful weekend as well. Today, we are continuing our conversation on sex by talking about mutual pleasure in marriage. And the point of today's episode is really to make a case for mutual pleasure. Should you or your spouse be confused or unsure or even a little wary about its importance for your marriage? Now, when I say mutual pleasure, I'm referring to both husbands and wives experiencing not just emotional connection or on the other end of the spectrum, not just orgasm, but overall sexual satisfaction physically, psychologically, and relationally. The mutual part of mutual pleasure also refers to the reciprocal giving and receiving. So desiring and being desired, arousing and getting aroused, pleasuring and being pleasured. Why is this important for us in marriage? Well, I'd like to take the rest of the episode to address the importance of mutual pleasure from a scriptural and relational perspective. But first, I want to let you know about couples coaching at Brave Marriage. Different from marriage therapy, couples coaching begins as an eight-week coaching program that walks you and your spouse through goal-setting together both personally and individually. I've had couples work toward growing businesses, getting on the same page with finances, even working toward what the series is all about, sexual intimacy. I then use a set of communication and problem-solving skills to help you as a couple meet your goals for marriage. Think of it as an intentional, proactive investment in your relationship. Couples coaching is for the couple who is already on board with personal and relational growth, who senses their strengths, their growth areas, and the opportunity to be even stronger together. Couples coaching is also available in office or online. To get started, visit bravemarriage.com contact and I will be happy to answer any questions you have or to set up your first session. Again, that's bravemarriage.com contact. All right, looking at mutual pleasure from a scriptural perspective, the God of the Bible is a God who loves us, who cares for us, and who created us with sex organs specifically designed for pleasure in addition to the sexual act functioning as a means of procreation. You guys, I can't stress to you how unique this is or how profound this should be to our Christian faith to realize that the Bible makes clear God's heart for human sexuality. Case in point, there's a whole book in the Old Testament on healthy sexuality, which is not so much a set of instructions as it is a book of erotic poetry that points to God's heart for our sex lives and marriage. In this book, Song of Solomon, we see the wisdom of sex being designed for a husband and a wife for our sexuality being set in the context of our relationships in larger community, and we also see what it looks like for a man and woman to delight in each other and to learn how to be vulnerable and give freely and receive freely sexually. Now, if you're biblically well-versed, you might be thinking, well, aren't there other teachings in the Old Testament about sex with specific instructions? And yes, yes, there are. 
But the reason I highlight Song of Solomon and not Leviticus, for example, is because the rules and regulations cited around sexual immorality there have less to do with God's heart for married sexuality and more to do with His holiness, with how the Israelites and their priests were to conduct themselves literally in the holy presence of God. So then, in the New Testament, there are several passages addressing God's heart for married sexuality through the instructions Paul gives to married believers. So, to give you a little bit of context preceding, this philosopher came onto the scene named Aristotle, you might have heard of him, about 200 years or so before Paul. And Aristotle was well known for his views on politics, community functioning, and household management, which were all very male-centric, where basically the men were to rule supremely over all areas of life. And in Greek society, these cultural views were widely disseminated as a result of Aristotle's teaching, and thus were pretty locked in by the time Jesus came onto the scene and by the time Paul started teaching from a Christ-centric perspective as opposed to a male-centric one. Are you with me so far? So for Paul then to instruct married believers to engage in mutual sexual pleasure— was totally subversive and really revolutionary to what many had previously held to. If you're confused or wondering what I'm talking about right now, let me read to you 1 Corinthians 7, 1-5 from the Message Translation. It says, Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me, first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them. I love that line. And provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Rather, marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. So even Paul, who thought his way of singleness was better than being married, was able to see something of God's design for mutual pleasure in marriage. I know I'm spending a lot of time here taking a look at mutual pleasure from the lens of Scripture, but it's because I think that when we do, when we actually read the Bible— And when we actually comprehend what it's saying, it's so powerful because it can help correct some of the heart postures that we've unintentionally tangled up in our views on sexuality and mutual pleasure, even as Christians. And this has significant implications then for our sex lives psychologically and relationally. Now, to identify the heart postures that get in the way of mutual pleasure— I want to bring to mind something I haven't talked about since episode 4 on living mutually empowered, purposeful lives. So Jack and Judith Balswick talk about what a healthy marriage looks like using a Trinitarian model of relationship. And to use their language, they assert that a healthy Christian marriage is neither selfish nor selfless, but rather a healthy Christian marriage is unselfish. Now let me unpack that for a minute. Most of us understand, at least intellectually, that selfishness is a heart posture that will get in the way of an intimate and loving relationship. Selfishness leads to us feeling entitled to sexual pleasure rather than approaching it from a place of love and mutual respect. But fewer of us understand that selflessness 
as in serving another without thinking of yourself, is also a heart posture that will get in the way of an intimate and loving relationship. Why is that? Well, because in order to love your spouse as yourself, that sort of implies that you first have to have a self, right? When you give up yourself, you're not actually loving your spouse as yourself. You're loving your spouse as if he or she is going to complete you. You're giving up yourself in hopes of a return, in hopes that your spouse will love you back for how selfless you are, or that he or she will somehow make you feel worthy, which, when you think about it, is pretty unhealthy, because that means your sense of self is coming from something outside of you, something that you can't control. But feeling lovable and worthwhile is an inside job. That's a job between you and God. And listen, please don't hear this with all-or-nothing thinking. I'm not saying it's not important to feel loved and worthwhile by your spouse. It is. But here's the distinction. An unselfish heart posture, one where you're able to freely give and easily receive, comes from knowing that you have value, that you matter, that you are loved by God. But both selfish and selfless heart postures at their core are both rooted in the disbelief that you have inherent value just as you are, that grace is freely given, not earned on merit, and that even with your self-righteous or self-loathing tendencies, there's nothing you can do to change God's love for you. How different would we feel if we really believed these things fully? How does this translate then into mutual pleasure? Well, Unselfishness allows partners to freely give sexually, to feel excited and desirous and aroused, without dismissing, ignoring, or minimizing their own sexuality, while at the same time being able to easily receive sexually without feeling dirty, guilty, or ashamed. And isn't this the original state in the garden, that Adam and his wife Eve became one flesh and that the two were naked and unashamed? Unsurprisingly, this is also the goal of mutual pleasure psychologically and relationally, to have a positive mindset, attitude, and receptivity to sexual intimacy with your spouse, and behaviorally to experience sex as mutually satisfying, whether that means emotional connection and mutual climax every time, or as often as you two agree, right? There is no directive here. It's up to you and your spouse. So think about this for a moment. What do you two desire? And what do you need to do to prioritize mutual pleasure? Is it a mindset shift? Is it time? Is it a particular heart posture like we talked about? Now, as you think about this and what you desire for your marriage, I also want you to have realistic expectations. Mutual pleasure in your marriage may be currently impacted by your season of life, how much time you have to yourselves between work, kids, and the like, or how much knowledge you have about each other's bodies. But regardless of where you are currently compared with where you'd both like to be sexually, I hope that you'll leave these episodes feeling compassionate, gracious, and understanding of where you are now, given your upbringing, your sexual history, and your sexual education up to this point, and also hopeful or excited for the way that things could be. The last thing I want you to feel is shame. Because listen, there are so many voices in our culture on this topic. I'm thinking of one couple in our culture whom several of you have mentioned to me in particular, 
who hand out sex advice based on how they do it, not based on what will be most helpful to couples for where they are. And while I don't disagree with a lot of advice they give, and while I fully believe that they're trying to be helpful, I also just want you to be cautious that if you leave feeling bad about yourself or your marriage, I don't care if there are good tips and tricks being given. There's no need to do that to yourself, to leave feeling inferior by comparison. Because without realizing it, you could be reinforcing your own patterns of shame and self-doubt and negative thinking around your sex life, even though, again, I know that's not the intention. Neither was it the intention of the church to harm a whole generation of people who grew up in purity culture in terms of their understanding of married sexuality and mutual pleasure. Okay, so let that be the cautionary tale here to just please listen to licensed professionals on this topic who know how to educate and who have been trained and who have even taken Hippocratic oaths to do no harm as they seek to help. Okay, that's it in Soapbox. Your action step for today is to have a courageous conversation with your spouse around your thoughts and feelings on this episode, whatever they are to begin to open up conversation about your sex life. And as a bonus, if you feel secure enough in your relationship to share with each other which one of these heart postures you most identify with, go ahead and do that as well. Because it could lead to confession. It could lead to forgiveness. And it could lead to the next best steps for your marriage, which we'll talk about some next week. My prayer for our marriages is that God would redeem us sexually because he's big enough and powerful enough to do that, that we might enjoy mutual pleasure the way he intended it as we move forward in married life together. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Love is not a Love is not a bond Love is just as fragile as it is